St. Patrick's Day in a pandemic. We had five bookings this week and we lost all five of them bookings. One year after COVID closed bars and restaurants, how the struggling sector is hoping for better luck next year. A vaccination clinic in a former COVID hotspot. This is extraordinarily good news for our community. Why some Whistler workers are getting their shots early. BC's ambulance service in critical condition. I'd like to tell you it's gotten better, but in fact, it's gotten worse. How Metro Vancouver mayors are now sounding the alarm. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Another St. Patrick's Day has come and almost gone with liquor sales in pubs, bars and restaurants ending in about two hours from now. Richard Zussman is live outside Victoria's Irish Times pub. Normally a big day for them, Richard, but uh, are businesses and customers obeying this one night pandemic restriction? It seems like so far they are, Sophie, but this typically would be the busiest day at Irish Times. You can see there are still people there in their greens, but it feels a bit different. And the industry knows if people are well behaved today, it could mean a return to normal for the next St. Patrick's Day. This is the Wild Rover, the brainchild of Irishman Danny Hamilton, a mobile Irish pub for rent in Victoria. On a non-COVID St. Patrick's Day, beer would be flowing all day. But with the ban on events, it's a different tune. We had five bookings this week, and we lost all five of them bookings. Understandably so. We've no complaints at all. We support the public health orders. March 17th, historically the busiest day on the calendar for the province's pubs and bars. Last year, at the start of the pandemic, pubs entirely closed on St. Paddy's Day. This year, they're open, but with strict protocols and liquor sales must stop at 8 p.m., with beer and other drinks being removed from tables at 9, turning this into this. It's normally our best day of the year, and this year it's going to look and feel just like a busy weekend day, right? Um, and we're not going to be able to have as many patrons in, obviously, with all the concessions we've made to have the necessary public health protocols in place. Inspections have ramped up across the province, ensuring guidelines are followed. And for St. Patrick's revelers, police have this message. We will have uh, additional police officers who are working primarily in the downtown core, much like we would on any Friday or Saturday night. But with a little luck and a whole lot of following the guidelines, the industry is hoping this will be one of the last big events limited due to the pandemic. Enjoy uh, the day to 8 o'clock this evening and then prepare for next year, which will be uh, the best of all possible St. Paddy's Days. The importance of this day for us is to host it safely so we can continue to look at lessening protocols over the next several months. So you have two at the bar here. There has already been some easing. The outdoor gatherings up to 10 are back and more could be on the way. A pot of gold at the end of a long rainbow for Hamilton. There's a lot of love that went into the building of this. So uh, people can see that. They, uh, they get a little taste of Ireland when they step inside. Mm. All right, Richard, uh, are either WorkSafe or police increasing enforcement on this pandemic St. Paddy's Day? 
Yeah, I spoke to a number of owners and managers of bars today, Sophie Irish pubs, and they said they wouldn't even do interviews because they didn't want it to be seen that they were promoting St. Patrick's Day. And one of them told me that he was contacted every day over the last week from WorkSafe to ensure they weren't promoting any specials for St. Patrick's Day. We know that inspections are increasing, although in the hour or so we've been here, we haven't seen any at this particular pub. So far, people are mostly well-behaved, Sophie. Some blending of tables, which is not allowed, but everyone knows that if they behave themselves now, we may get back to a semblance of normal a little bit sooner. Let's hope. Richard Zussman in Victoria. Richard, thank you. Well, the province is boosting a financial lifeline for businesses that had to pivot online because of the pandemic. Due to high demand, the online grant program is getting a $30 million cash injection, which brings the total money available to business owners to $42 million. The grant provides small and medium businesses up to $7,500 to build online stores or websites offering their services. Nearly a third of the money is reserved for rural and indigenous businesses, as well as ventures run by women and people of color. We've expanded away from just durable goods to services as well. That means tourism operators, uh, uh, hairstylists, not-for-profits, a whole range of groups uh, and companies will be able to access this money and it will help them get back on their feet faster. What the online grant program will do is it's going to allow these businesses to diversify diversify their portfolio and it'll allow them to increase their market access, which is essential for scaling and growing their businesses and keeping alive during this pandemic and during this time of need. The grants must be used to hire local companies to do the online development. All right, let's take a look at the latest numbers for B.C. now. We have 498 new cases. That brings B.C.'s total to 89,427. 4,851 of those cases are active. Four more people have died, which means B.C. has now lost more than 1,400 people to complications from the virus. And 19,623 doses of vaccine were administered yesterday. Keith Baldry joins us with more on B.C.'s battle with COVID-19 and what the Premier had to say today, Keith, about the stubborn case numbers, given that more vaccines are going into mm-hmm. arms. Yes, the Premier holding his weekly media avail today. Sort of a good news, bad news point of view from Premier John Horgan today. Likes what he sees on the vaccination front increasingly every day. As you mentioned, 19,000 people vaccinated yesterday. Uh, More than 350,000 people have at least one dose right now. We're going to get to a million fairly quickly. But on the other hand, we still have 500 cases a day and the hospitalization rates remain high. Here's Premier John Horgan today. We believe that the vaccination program is in really good place right now. We've been accelerating uh, stages as we've seen more supply come on stream. Uh, but the persistent caseload of about 500 uh, to 550 uh, over the past number of weeks is disconcerting. I'm confident that we're on the right track. It's a very good question, and I appreciate uh, why people would say these, these hospitalizations are, are creeping up. Uh, But it has been a slow increase, and as we uh, start to vaccinate more, uh, we'll see a reduction in caseloads and hopefully a reduction in hospitalizations as well. 
Now, tomorrow afternoon, we're going to get some interesting news on the AstraZeneca vaccine. About 136,000 doses expected to arrive in April. And they're going to be on a parallel vaccination program, not based on age, but based on occupation and location. And we're going to get not so much essential workers, people being essential, essential services or anything like that, but just if you work in certain occupations or in certain areas of the province, you're going to be designated to get the AstraZeneca. We're going to get those details from Dr. Bonnie Henry at one, and Health Minister Adrian Dix at 1 o'clock tomorrow. All right, well, we'll be watching that on BC1. Thanks, Keith. Yep. And speaking of that, another group of workers is being moved up in the queue for vaccines. Whistler Blackcomb employees living in staff housing are the latest to receive AstraZeneca shots. As Nadia Stewart tells us, the move to prioritize certain workforces is raising some eyebrows. Another group of workers is receiving the vaccine. This time, it's those living in staff housing here at Whistler Blackcomb as the province looks to break any chains of transmission, given there have been outbreaks here in the past. Between January the 1st and the 26th, Vancouver Coastal Health said nearly 300 people tested positive for the virus in Whistler, with a majority of the cases amongst 20 and 30-year-olds who work and live together. At a recent council meeting, Whistler Mayor Jack Crompton says the mass vaccination is welcome news. Late last week, Vancouver Coastal Health also informed us that they will be vaccinating community members living in staff housing and high-density shared housing, a segment of our community that has seen uh, the highest COVID-19 transmission. This is extraordinarily good news for our community. According to Dr. Bonnie Henry, vaccinating workers living in these close quarters is part of the province's second phase. They've allocated 60,000 doses of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine to target high-risk work sites where there have been outbreaks. We've seen outbreaks that have affected not just uh, the, the camps and the accommodations, but have spilled over into our communities in the large industrial camps. But there are still questions about the rationale behind the vaccine distribution, especially since frontline workers and some seniors over the age of 80 are still waiting in line. A spokesperson for the Ministry of Health pointed us to a statement released March 15th. In it, the province says initially they'd hoped by now to receive additional vaccines so those could be allocated to frontline workers ahead of phase three. Instead, the initial shipment of the AstraZeneca vaccine will be administered to workers like those in Whistler and other industries such as food processing plants. It is expected Dr. Bonnie Henry will have more to say about frontline workers and the list that is being developed around their vaccinations on Thursday. Nadia Stewart, Global News, Whistler. The community-wide vaccination program in Prince Rupert is now ahead of schedule and perhaps no one is happier than the local First Nations population. We've been following the program this week and tonight Global's Amadagahi wraps up our coverage with a look at how health officials are tackling the challenges for some Indigenous people who want to take part. So your next stop is here and the next stop over there. Then you'll get your shot. I'm called a wayfinder and that's one of the positions I've been assigned to. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. Mary Wesley's presence here is one of the many reasons the Prince Rupert vaccination effort is being described as a success. Good. It's really important that we have someone like her involved as she's a safe uh, face for a lot of our community members. 40% of the population in Prince Rupert is Indigenous and vaccination clinics for some can be triggering. Being in a clinical setting, it's not very you know, warm and inviting. It's very scareful for them. 
So um, that's where I come into play and just reassure them that they're going to be okay. Okay, anyone? Yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. Take care. Okay. Okay. Thank you. For example, when Owen Robinson walked in for his shot on Wednesday morning, Mary was there to greet him. <laughs> A lot of people know her. She's a very nice person. <laughs> For members that were living in town, so we have elders and seniors and, and folks that uh, you know have those the bearers of knowledge and tradition. It's really important for those to get folks to get vaccinated. And we're just, again, extremely grateful that we're able to do that. The vaccine rollout in this small community is moving along much quicker than first expected. And with everyone over 18 already being immunized, the clinic could wrap up by the end of the week. I think we planned really well. We thought through a lot of the little details and then the community did their part. They showed up. Northern Health will have vaccinated more than 6,500 people in Prince Rupert by Friday. And those who are concerned that the clinic is moving maybe too fast and will leave them behind, health officials are promising to have vaccine available here even long after the mass rollout has ended. Prince Rupert may have started the week as a COVID hotspot with the province's second worst infection rate, but it's now in a position to end the week as the standard vaccine rollouts in your community will be modeled after. Emad Agahi, Global News. Vancouver police are searching for a suspect in a fatal shooting on the downtown east side. Police were called to the Arco Hotel, a building that offers social housing at around four this morning for reports of gunfire. A woman suffering from a gunshot wound was rushed to hospital but did not survive. Her death marks the city's third homicide of the year. No arrests have been made at this time. Uh, we believe uh, the suspect or the person responsible for this offence did flee the building prior to police arrival. So the investigation is ongoing. Police also removed several dogs that appeared to be in distress. Anyone with information is asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. A group of nearly a dozen Lower Mainland mayors is raising concerns about the shortage of paramedics on the Lower Mainland and long waits for ambulances. The opioid crisis and the pandemic are taking a toll on the service. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the mayors want the health minister to either take action or consider other first responders to help out. Ambulance paramedics are a critical part of our health care system. But staffing shortages have created a crisis, according to their union, one that continues to worsen. Last night we had 32 ambulances down in the lower mainland uh, GVRD region again, and um, we're, our paramedics are exhausted. Also worried, nearly a dozen Metro Vancouver mayors who wrote a letter to Health Minister Adrian Dix, noting they are extremely concerned. The mayors say... The COVID-19 pandemic combined with the ongoing overdose crisis means that now more than ever, help is required to meet emergency medical needs in the province. <coughs> Referencing past suggestions to use other emergency responders, they say, we urge you once again to reconsider your position on the issue and ensure that resources, including medically trained and or EMR trained firefighters are dispatched. <coughs> Paramedics say the focus should be on fixing the problem. The real issue is, is that we need to enhance ambulance services to, in, in, in these communities. And really, I would encourage them to work with us and the ministry. BC paramedics respond to as many as 1,700 calls every day. 
The union estimates 60 to 100 paramedics need to be hired in Metro Vancouver alone. Following multiple requests, the health minister did not respond. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Building a home or embarking on renovations is not a cheap endeavor, but now there's another factor driving up costs. Lumber prices are through the roof, so to speak. In some cases, quadrupling since this time last year. While that's challenging for consumers, it's not bad news all around. How BC benefits from rising prices in just over a minute. A close call for a peachland homeowner when flames erupted on the hill in front of them. The mysterious streak in the sky that may have been responsible later. Today we have Aretha Franklin and Rosie out working. Plus, getting his ducks in a row, a BC man's creative solution to controlling a common garden pest. Right now, though, if you are planning on any renovations or new home building, you could be in for sticker shock at the lumber yard. The price of wood is skyrocketing. Ted Trenecki now with what is driving up the demand and the impact, good and bad. Figuratively speaking, builders North America wide are getting hammered. The cost of lumber is through the roof with today's prices soaring in rarefied air. And they're not up just a bit. In some cases, prices have quadrupled in the last 18 months. In its simplest explanation, this is a story of little supply and lots of demand. COVID apparently has given many of us time to think about home renovations. A lot of people staying home and wanting to make changes in their home or put up a deck or a fence and so our repair and remodeling sector uh, that demands our building products is very strong and in addition what we're seeing is very strong uh, housing start numbers out of the U.S. And here's what that demand looks like graphically. Last year a thousand board feet of 2x10s or 2x4s cost about $300 U.S. Today over a thousand dollars. Triple. Sheets of plywood and oriented strand board were under 300 in 2019 and now at 1200 US, quadruple. The price uh, for lumber is just off the charts. Great for provincial revenue and for sellers of softwood, but terrible for just about everyone else. It's being called the perfect storm that's giving retailers all manner of headache. They find themselves much more exposed to risk, having to pay suppliers today's prices, but not taking delivery for two months when who knows where the prices will be. The lumber mills are so backed up that we need to buy product now if we want to make sure that we have plywood or lumber to sell in May. So what we're needing to do is commit to prices and hope that it doesn't fall off before it gets here. And increasing production in B.C. to meet demand isn't that easy. Mills have been closing as the province continues to reduce the annual allowable cut. The devastation caused by the pine beetle is one reason. The cut's also coming down because we had two very difficult and devastating fire seasons in 2017 and, tw and 2018. Bottom line for the consumer? You'd be well advised to price out your lumber costs for that deck or renovation before you start construction. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The federal government is joining the province and TransLink to help tune up the trains, more specifically the West Coast Express. The feds, the province and TransLink are investing nearly $21 million to refurbish seven locomotives and buy a new engine. The West Coast Express is a critical commuter link between the Fraser Valley the Lower Mainland and the downtown core. Before the pandemic, there were more than 12,000 people daily boarding, but that has dropped by about 40 percent. 
This project will go a long way to supporting the people who rely on the West Coast Express to commute in and out of Metro Vancouver, and it will continue our efforts to tackle climate change, get people out of cars, and stop them from contributing to congestion uh, in the region. Waging war on a dangerous predator. Having something that could really cause you a really serious world of hurt, unbeknownst to you, uh, living on your property. The cross-border battle against Asian giant hornets and the call for citizen scientists to help. Also ahead, a multi-million dollar makeover at a popular park and the opposition to it. Big delays here in both directions on Low Heat Highway at United in Coquitlam because of a rollover crash that's actually involved five other vehicles. Eastbound traffic on Low Heat is blocked at United and being forced onto the Mary Hill Bypass. Carmack Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973 for unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service. Choose Carmack. For location information, visit Carmack.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a crash on Low Heat Highway at United. The widow of a man killed in a northern B.C. tugboat sinking wants that tug recovered. Two men died and another survived when the tugboat sank on February 11th south of Kitimat. It was towing a barge which remained afloat. More than 10,000 people have signed a petition launched by Judy Garlic Pearson, wife of one of the tugboat's crew, to raise the sunken vessel from the bottom of the Gardner Canal. She believes it could hold answers about her husband's death. The answers may be at the bottom of the sea with the tug, right? But at the same time, we don't know that for certain. But we have nothing to lose. My son and I have absolutely nothing to lose in pursuing this and, and keep fighting for, uh, you know, the rights of mariners and, and the policies to be tightened and uh, the recovery of, of the tugboat. The Transportation Safety Board says it is now conducting a wider investigation into the sinking. The Asian giant hornet has become such a concern in our region, the B.C. government is teaming up with Washington state and U.S. federal officials to try to wipe it out. As Linda Aylesworth reports, B.C. residents will also be a crucial part of the effort to eradicate the invasive pest, which can be devastating to B.C.'s honeybees. When the first murder hornet was discovered in B.C. nearly two years ago, even the experts weren't entirely sure what it was. Wow, that's a big insect. Uh, probably not from around here based on its size alone. Soon it was identified as Vespa mandarinia, an Asian giant hornet, an invasive species with the potential to cause real damage. There are three major issues here. Uh, the first one, of course, is public health. That's because whether their nest is in the ground or in a tree, they're very defensive and could cause significant harm if disturbed. The second thing is, of course, it is recognized as a serious honeybee predator, and uh, this is particularly the case in, in August. And then there's the ecological impact such an aggressive species could have. Traps have been used to track their spread through B.C. and Washington State. The red dots show confirmed captures, most of which happened in the U.S. Everyone's efforts and up netting us 31 detections last year and the eventual tracking of a hornet back to the nest where we were able to perform the eradication. That one nest in northern Whatcom County contained 500 specimens. On Vancouver Island, a nest containing 200 hornets was destroyed in 2019. But at a virtual cross-border press conference today, there were some hopeful updates. Since that time, no single 
hornet had been sighted or collected. On Vancouver Island, that is. And so BC is turning its focus to the Fraser Valley, where things are actually going pretty well. We had only very me- very meager harvests compared to what you had down in Washington State. We had a grand total of six hornets. That's not to say that Asian giant hornets are no longer a threat, but with the public's continued help in both trapping and reporting, we're getting the upper hand. At this point in time, we have full confidence that with all the efforts that we put in, we have a half-decent chance of being very successful. Time will tell. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Following nearly two years of discussions and public consultation, Penticton City Council has approved a multi-million dollar plan for a major makeover of Skaha Lake Park. And while the plan calls for upgraded and new park amenities, Global's Shelby Tom explains why there are objections to parts of the proposal. It's a beautiful and vibrant natural park along the shores of Skaha Lake, and the city of Penticton plans to enhance the visitor experience by revitalizing the area. City Council approving a master plan Tuesday after engaging with park user groups and the community at large. It's reverted back to a very, um, basically an upgrade of what we have here today with some slight enhancements. Public Works Manager Len Robson gives us a tour of what will change. The marina building will get a face lift with a licensed restaurant and half of the docks still need to be upgraded so that's included in the plan as well. A new and expanded paddle boathouse is also on the list and a brand new splash pad. The parking lot will also be reconfigured. Our marina in the park is It just needs a lot of improvements that should have been done a very long time ago. It's a combination of outrigger canoes and dragon boats. While the park makeover is being welcomed by the Dragon Boat Society, which stores equipment in the boathouse. This has been a long time coming for us. We've been in operation for 21 years this year, and this building is definitely inadequate. A park preservation group is worried about the loss of some trees and the expanded footprint of this structure. Anything added to the park is an encumbrance. It gets in the way of um, people being able to use it publicly. There will be absolutely no green space lost uh, to the park. As a matter of fact, in, in some areas, would, we would be adding green space to it. The price tag for the entire plan is around $3.2 million and will now go through the budgeting process with construction expected to begin on some projects as early as next year. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Up next, COVID alert apathy. They're essentially completely useless. How Canada's much-touted COVID tracker has been mostly ineffective. Also ahead, more than two years after their arrest, the two Michaels are about to stand trial in China. Here we are once again on Highway 1 at the east end of the Portman Bridge where traffic is down to just a single lane because of a three-car crash here. Eastbound just past the east end, you're down to just one lane and traffic is backed up past Brunette on the approach. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage and Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 and the Portman Bridge. The two Michaels, two Canadian men who've been detained in China since December of 2018, 
are going to trial. Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig are accused by the Chinese government of espionage, a crime that's punishable in China by life in prison with a minimum sentence of 10 years. The two were arrested days after Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou was arrested at Vancouver International Airport. She, of course, is embroiled in an extradition hearing to the U.S. The two Michael's arrest was widely considered to be retaliation for Meng's arrest. Michael Spavor's trial begins on Friday. Michael Kovrig's on Monday. The man who wounded a transit police officer in a brazen shooting two years ago has been handed a 10-year sentence for aggravated assault. Dayon Glasgow was charged with attempted murder in the shooting of Constable Josh Harms at the Scott Road Skytrain station. But a judge found him guilty of the lesser offense, saying the Crown failed to prove that Glasgow intended to kill Harms when he shot him in January of 2019. Glasgow also received eight years for robbing a Vancouver cannabis dispensary three days before he shot harms. After time served, he will have served over 15 years in prison. Harms suffered injuries to his hand and arm but was able to return to work. For months, many Canadians have been urged to download a smartphone app that warns people of potential exposure to COVID-19. Despite pressure from the federal government to sign on, BC resisted, feeling it wasn't the way to go. And as Global's Jasmine Pisano reports, now at least one expert calls it completely useless. It's like you don't even have it. Like, it, it, honestly, it just sits in the background of your phone. Since the COVID Alert app launched, about 535,000 Canadians tested positive for COVID-19. But less than 4% of them have used the app to warn others they might have been exposed to the virus. I have not received a notification since I installed it. It's just like zero exposures reported. There's like a monthly notification I received that says that it's still working. The COVID Alert app is fully functioning in provinces from Saskatchewan to Atlantic Canada and in the Northwest Territories. But about 80% of smartphone users have not downloaded it. I honestly just never really thought to download it. It's just not a priority for me at this moment. When we're only seeing a small percentage of the population using these apps, they're essentially completely useless. Germany has a similar app, but this one sends test results right to people's smartphones. The app has been so effective that it's been hailed for helping to break the infection chain. The uptake in Germany for its own app is higher than in Canada with COVID alert. There's a bit of an apathy when the threat of that infectious disease is not fully appreciated by the population because we've actually been quite successful in controlling it. Health Canada told Global News that with the emergence of new COVID-19 variants and the reopening of the economy, it's confident that all jurisdictions will see the value in this app and in the increased benefits that it can provide to Canadians. And even with a vaccine rollout, experts agree there's still a chance the app may actually be useful, but only if people use it properly. Jasmine Pisano, Global News. Still to come, a mysterious sight in the sky sparks speculation and possibly more in Peachland. It's actually started kind of circling around and coming closer and closer. The unidentified flying object and the close call that could have burned down a house just ahead. Plus, teamwork makes the dream work even on Zoom. The Vancouver Giants quarantine training ahead of the WHL season. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. And uh, looks like a, a nice sunset behind you, Christy. Well, I get it's light now mm -hmm. when I leave work. It's so wonderful. 
It is so wonderful, especially since we've had these spectacular spring-like days. Nice to have the evenings uh, nice and long. Look at this scene, though, today. This is the Tantalus Range uh, that was captured by one of our cameramen heading up to Whistler. And so if you're driving up the Sea to Sky Highway and you looked west over the water, over House Sound, you would see this range when you're approaching the Squamish. So stellar conditions today for uh, mountains uh, with blue sky in the background. And uh, just thought I'd give you a little visual. We are starting to see some cloud cover now. All right, so let's check things out. We've got been pretty uh, lucky over the last little while, and now what we're going to see is a trend towards wetter weather, not only tomorrow, but over the next few days. So tomorrow, expect periods of rain to develop through the morning hours. It will be heavy at times through the afternoon and evening hours. We'll also see windy conditions, and we even have a risk of thunderstorms. So we've got a bit of everything in store for us tomorrow, and not only tomorrow, but into our Friday also, and Saturday, and Sunday. But let me break it down when we look at the five-day. In the meantime, there's your Thursday. Inland regions, you'll see a fair amount of sunshine, just a chance of showers for a few areas. The bulk of the moisture will really fall across the south coast, and there's that risk of thunderstorms that I was talking about. So Friday and Saturday not looking too bad. We change over to spring officially on Saturday. It's just a chance of showers those two days before rain back in the mix on Sunday, but it's definitely a trend with uh, where you're going to need to plan some indoor activities. It is spring break after all. And here's another look at another beautiful mountain range. This is the Lizard, or I hope I've said it correctly. It could be Lizard, but Lizard, a mountain range looking out from the Peckham's Lake area. Sheila Ross sending us that. Wow. Beautiful. Thanks, Christy. A close call in Peachland last night when flames suddenly erupted in the backyard of a home. Thankfully, the property was saved, but what caused that fire is a bit of a mystery. And as Global's Darian Matasafung reports, a cell phone video taken around the same time is fueling rampant speculation. Came out the door to take a look what was going on. The, the smoke was extremely thick. We couldn't stay out here, but the flames were like, you know, you could see them rising above the, the level of the, the balcony. A Peachland homeowner and her husband had the scare of their lives when a mysterious fire abruptly started on their property only a few feet from their balcony. My husband and I were sitting watching television and uh, I heard a rumbling noise outside, so I asked him to turn the sound off so I could hear what it was. And so, of course, our vision went away from the TV and I looked out the window and there were flames lapping over the balcony. Luckily, someone saw the fire on the hillside and called Peachland Fire Department. Crews arrived as the Wilsons evacuated their home. They, they were amazing and they stayed a long time afterwards putting out all the hot spots. What makes the fire so mysterious is that a nearby resident caught an unidentified flying object in the sky mere minutes before the fire broke out. The object appears to be a floating, glowing orb. Social media rumors were circulating. Many thought it was a meteor. I went out to take out the garbage and seen something in the sky floating and uh, went back inside to get my kids, came back outside and it's actually started kind of circling around and coming closer and closer. And then you could actually see it kind of like break up. And then you had a big chunk of something that just came down pretty, pretty fast. Peachland Fire Department says the call that was made most likely ended up saving the home. They say only a few more minutes and the balcony would have been engulfed. And to make matters scarier, the Wilsons had three propane tanks on that balcony. It was actually some minor damage to the house. It did actually get close enough and melted a little bit of the siding on the side of the house. So it definitely was a concern, but the crews did a great job and they were able to knock it down and and extinguish it uh, relatively quickly. At this point, what fell from the sky as well as what ignited the fire remains a mystery. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Peachland.
Spooky. Hi, Squire. Wow. You made it here in time. I did make it here in time. I made it here in so much time <laughs> that I'm not out of breath. I was a little worried there when I heard Squire's on his way. Breathing He's easily. <laughs> in out. All right. What do you have for us? Well, the uh, Canucks uh, are in Ottawa. It's a second straight game against the Senators. Canucks have a new player, but they didn't get him in the game tonight because of visa issues. Anyway, this game looks a lot like the one on Monday. Vancouver had a 2-0 lead, and then they lost it. We're in overtime. We'll see how it ends. Also coming up, Ducks on a mission. How a BC man is hoping this flock will help his fledgling business take flight. Okay, we can't wear green on I wasn't going to mention this. Well, no, we can't because if we did wear green, we would disappear because we're right. backed by a green screen. But you are wearing green stripes on your shoes, which I have green noticed. stripes. See, there's, there's the green background. Mm -hmm. I have green stripes on my shoes, and I think if I held them up... Don't, because you'll pull something. No, you're right. I, <laughs> I think I did something. No, I'm, I'm, oh, no. I'm okay. I'm like Gumby. I'm very... Okay, we can show them later. Okay. Uh, the uh, Canucks picked up Jimmy Vesey on waivers from the Toronto Maple Leafs today, and it's an interesting pickup. He was a great college player. In fact, he was a Hobie Baker winner. The year he won the Hobie Baker, Thatcher Demko was a finalist. But he has bounced around the NHL, and sometimes when he has played, when he's played well, he's looked like a top six forward. Other times, he looks like he's barely an NHLer. But there's no harm here. You might as well take a chance. See if the change of scenery will help. He actually drove from Toronto to Ottawa to be in the warm-up. Canucks wearing special St. Patrick's Day uniforms in the warm-up. But then they found out he had a little bit of a visa issue and he couldn't play. Anyway, okay. Canucks didn't need him as it turned out. Brock Besser scores the first goal from Bo Horvat. Bit of a mistake by Ottawa. They get caught on a two-on-one. It's one-nothing for the Canucks. Then another mistake by the Sens. This time Thomas Shabbat... Gets the puck taken off of him by Nils Hoaglander. Ottawa thought there should have been a penalty. Eh, I don't think there should have been. Whatever the case, nice play. Here it is here. Did he kick the feet out from underneath him? Not really. They were battling for the puck. Hoaglander takes it, waits out the defenseman who dives too soon, finds Bo Horvat. It's 2-0. But Ottawa, like they did on Monday, do come back. Ryan Dezingle rebound, and that's pretty much the only way you're going to beat uh, Thatcher Demko these days is a rebound away from him. Then, this is in the third. Tanner Pearson goes down and doesn't return. And then, seconds later, Joey Decord, the Ottawa netminer, twists his left knee, it looks like. And he's out of the game. So in goes Philip Gustafson, who has never played in the NHL in his life. But the Gustafson was okay. In fact, he got some offensive help here from Josh Norris, who ties it 2-2. Bo Horvat had a chance to score on a breakaway, but Gustafson makes the save. But in the shootout, after four shootouts, the only one that went in was the one by Adam Gaudet. So Vancouver wins again in a shootout. Okay, another coaching casualty in the NHL. This one, not a surprise. Ralph Kruger was fired by the Buffalo Sabres. They are awful. They've lost 12 in a row. Um, no surprise, as I said, he's out, and the Sabres are a disaster. 
The Vancouver Whitecaps have made some player acquisitions this winter, but they do feel they have a good base of players that were here last year, and that gives them more depth and more certainty about what kind of team they have. However, they are still looking for more help, according to head coach Mark DeSantos. But we're still a couple of pieces away, one that is very important for us. We're looking for an an attacking midfielder, um, slash second forward, a player that could support better forwards. We're, we're, we're on it, and it's a priority for us more than anybody else. So we're, it's, a, it's a priority right, right now. The BC Division of the Western Hockey League will start playing its short season on March 26. All teams are going to play games in either Kamloops or Kelowna. The uh, teams are starting things off with a quarantine to be fully assured of being 100% healthy when they do drop the puck. And the Vancouver Giants gave us a bit of a look at life in the quarantine. We got our uh, kitchen here. We got a nice microwave, stove. Ten days in, this is what quarantine looks like for the Vancouver Giants. We, uh, we got a morning workout and then we get a midday workout and then we do a little bit more um, um, basics and like more video and things like that and standards and stuff like that. 15 seconds. After being idle for over a year now, getting back up to speed is the greatest challenge. No exhibition games means making the most out of every Zoom training session, be it on the bike, doing yoga or strength training. I think, you know, for a lot of these guys, they, uh, they appreciate it a lot more now knowing that they didn't have it, what it, what it felt like not to have it. And here we go. Giants head coach Michael Dick is well-versed on getting a club quickly up and running following a couple weeks in quarantine. Dick was an assistant coach on Canada's silver medal team at the World Juniors in Edmonton. You know, the effects of, of, of what we did in Red Deer and then coming out of it and, and getting onto the ice, uh, certainly, I, I think, helped helped a lot in, in, in the planning for what we were going to do here in Kamloops uh, in the hopes that we can get back on the ice again Thursday. We've all talked about how grateful we are. Um, it's, I mean, seeing things going around um, the world right now, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty special that we're able to do this. Do you want me to try to show you my shoes Okay, again? just you slip it off. No, you're, uh, 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 before we're done. Okay, all right. It'll work over there because there's no wait. green screen. <laughs> All right, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, Sophie, coming up at 11, we are monitoring St. Patrick's Day in Vancouver tonight and that 8 o'clock cutoff for liquor sales, plus breaking news about those COVID-19 rebate checks that were supposed to be arriving in BC mailboxes mid-month. ICBC is now temporarily delaying the mail out of the refunds due to a cyber attack on its third-party printing and distribution vendor. And good news about natural gas prices, Fortis BC offering some relief for cash-strapped households during the pandemic. We'll have those stories and more coming up at 11. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. Up next, a solution to a common garden pest that's just ducky. Stay with us.
out-of-the-ordinary business that's really taking flight. Vancouver Island man has enlisted the help of some fine-feathered friends to provide an organic pest control service. And as Kylie Stanton reports, Cameron Ezzy and his ducks hope to quack a few smiles in the process. Ready? There you go. Like any idea that's a little out of the box, there's usually an even more interesting person behind it. A proud Australian Canadian, and I've lived here on Vancouver Island for 15 years. Meet Cameron Ezzy. <laughs> and of course, his ducks. So I have Aretha Franklin, Jacko Pistorius, Rosie, and Willow. When Ezzy first moved onto this property in the Comox Valley, he learned there was a massive slug infestation. He did his research, got the ducks, and got to work, training them to control the pests instead of relying on chemicals. The slugs can feel the vibration. It didn't take long before others in the area started quacking up. And they started smiling. And they continue to smile. That's all the inspiration as he needed. You see, he's fought through addiction and depression to finally find that same kind of happiness. And with his struggles now behind him, the timing was right. I knew I had to do something for me. Something unique. Something creative that was going to make people laugh and go... What the hell? With only 40 cents to his name, a bike, and a converted trailer, slugs and bugs for lunch took flight. So I came up with this and uh, turned it around and I'm going for the stars. His social media business page has been launched, updating potential clients on the work he and the ducks are doing. Hey, I'm Cam from Slugs and Bugs for Lunch. And now bookings are coming in. I honestly believe that he's on to a good thing here. It's just a really smart idea. As he is able to work up and down the island, his hope is to one day earn enough to purchase land and grow food of his own. But for now, he's basking in this success. I went for it. One day, one step, one goal achieved, and it's working. It turns out, happiness is all it's quacked up to be. Happy ducks makes happy cam. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It's all worth it just for the puns. All right, let's see the shoe before we yeah. turn it Oh, we have over. a shoe cam. Oh. There you go. See, oh, there is some yeah. green. It's not really St. Patrick's Day green. It's more don't get hit by a car green. It's a bit But it works sense. both ways. <laughs> All right. Well, it is. You've got more I St. looked green everywhere for green. Yellow is nice, too. It matches mm -hmm. uh, the sunshine we had today. Thank you. Yes, I tried. Feeling like spring out here. It's not going to tomorrow, so get ready for rain. It will develop through the morning hours tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Happy St. Patty's Day, everyone.